teachers here. We are going to be finishing today uh, a four-part series entitled The Way of the Spirit, and we've been talking about the way God uses His Holy Spirit, what Holy Spirit does, um, how Holy Spirit interacts with men, and obviously in four messages you aren't going to cover everything, and so I'm going to try to make sure this is neatly, neatly tied up uh, in regard to certain things. Um, one of the things we sang this morning, Jesus changes everything. He does and he did. He does change everything now. He can change anything in our situation. But also specifically when Jesus came, uh, he is the center point, center point of human history. 2022 is the year. 2022 since what? Since Jesus. He's the center point of history. All history is marked by either coming before him, B.C., or after him, A.D., which means Annos Domini, in the year of our Lord. Every time we look at the date, we write the date, we are remembering Jesus is the center point. And only God can do that. That's a marvel, I think. But when Jesus came and spent 33 and a half years approximately on the earth, he completely redid the way men walked with God. Up until that point, God dealt with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and anyone from outside who chose to join themselves. But you would have to cho choose to join yourself to the nation of Israel. Jesus came and changed everything. During that time before Jesus, God's Spirit was given only to a select few and often temporarily, and whoever had the Spirit of God, you knew it because they were different. In some cases, they were scary. When Samuel came to the village of Jesse, David's father, the village elders were nervous, and they met him at the city gates and said, have you come for good or evil? Like, are we in trouble, or, or is this cool? Because Samuel had the Spirit of God upon him. And when Jesus came, he redid it all. He made it possible for God's Spirit to come to everyone. Prior to Jesus, the Holy Spirit mainly on men. And mainly on, with often temporarily. When Jesus came, he said, I'm going to make it possible for everyone to receive God's Holy Spirit. Male, female, young, old, rich, poor. He was changing everything. We're going to talk today about the baptism in the Holy Spirit a little bit. If you are a person this morning who has been asking Maybe you're a person this morning who says, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, sit tight. If you're a person who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then my exhortation is keep going. It's not supposed to be a marker of something that happened 20 years ago. It's supposed to be an ongoing relational experience with God's Spirit. And if you're a person who understands there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I don't know that I have it yet. I don't, know, I don't know that I have been baptized in God's Spirit yet. Then I'm just going to simply say in our opening prayer, just quietly ask him. John the Baptist said, when he pointed to Jesus, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the river. And on one occasion, he pointed to Jesus standing on the bank, and he said, he's the one. He's going, I just baptize in water. He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. If we, if any person ever prays for somebody, they're only acting as an extension because the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes by one person. That's Jesus. That's his job. And he knows how to do it. So if you're a person this morning, I'm not waiting till the end. We're going to start right at the start. Just simply pray. 
and ask, Lord Jesus, you're the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to baptize me. Can we do that? Hallelujah, Father. Father, we want to commit this time to you. We ask for your spirit to move among us in a way that only he can. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Heavenly Father, we're asking that Jesus would baptize people in your spirit, that it wouldn't be a performance, it wouldn't be a human act, but this would be evidence of Jesus being glorified and your word being watched over and confirmed. So Father, we thank you. We remain in a spirit of worship, worshiping you, worshiping what you're like, worshiping what you do, worshiping what Jesus has accomplished. He has changed everything. For that we thank you. Jesus, we ask that you would baptize in your Holy Spirit. We thank you for doing what you only can do. And what it is your right and your privilege and your glory to do. Have your way this day. We thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. To... Um, to start wrapping this series up a little bit, uh, I want to just remind you of a couple of things that we, that we have said over the last three weeks, as well as what we said last week. Um, Holy Spirit is not a ghost. He is not a wisp. He is not a wind. He's not a power. He is a person. And I know people may say, you've said that over and over, but I think it needs to, be keep, to keep being said over and over. Because we have this notion of this idea that Holy Spirit is just, whoo, you just never know. And strange, strange things. Well, we'll talk about some things can be strange. Things Jesus did were different because God is not like us. But just to call doing something strange, say, well, that's God's Spirit. Well, no. God's Spirit works within certain specific confines and parameters. There are borders and boundaries. Holy Spirit is very, very much in agreement with God the Father and Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit has made it his purpose during this time after Jesus' death and resurrection to glorify Jesus. Everything, Jesus, everything Holy Spirit is doing is taking what Jesus accomplished and showing it to us, working it into our lives. Because Jesus, when he went to the cross, was actually buying things with his blood. He was purchasing a forgiveness. He was purchasing a restored relationship with God. When Jesus died, the scripture says, the veil, and historically, Josephus writes, the Jewish historian, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. That was a tapestry that was anywhere from four to eight inches thick, ripped from top to bottom. And the scripture says, signifying now that the way into God's presence has been made for all, not just the high priest, not just the priest, but people like you and me, people not born Jewish, open to all. Jesus came to open the gates wide. There's nothing hindering any one of us because of what Jesus has accomplished. And Holy Spirit is making sure that that is being worked into us, that nothing Jesus did falls to the ground, that in everything Jesus' work is glorified so that his sacrifice is not lost, but is made available. And Holy Spirit has been sent to ensure that that great salvation that Peter writes, that angels longed to look into. Who gets this? Who gets this salvation, the angels were saying. And the fathers who wrote the scriptures before they studied, who is this for? Who gets this great salvation? We do. And Holy Spirit wants to, is intending to bring forth a reverence and a glorification of what Jesus has done by seeing it worked out in us. He's changed everything. 
Now, one of the things that we talked about last week, and I'm just going to quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We aren't going to go there this morning. Um, in fact, if, if we could go, have the verse in Mark chapter 16 up so that it's ready. Last week, we considered 1 Corinthians chapter 2, wherein Paul writes, what eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, what hasn't entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And to us, God reveals them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the thoughts and the depths of God. So Holy Spirit has been given to us. Often I think people think it's, the Holy Spirit has often been kind of painted as almost a sideshow. Almost something that happens and you don't know really what's going on and it's sporadic. He's sporadic. He's not an it. Unpredictable. All of these kind of adjectives go along with a wrong notion of the Holy Spirit. But if we're to know what happens when the Holy Spirit starts working in your life? Well, is it chill bumps? Is it shakes? Is it... No, it's none of those things. Because one of the things we find out is that the Holy Spirit has come to show us, to show us what God thinks like, things that he's prepared. He's come to bring forth a mind that is more compatible with a God who does not think like us at all. God thinks in view of his ultimate power, of everything already being below his feet, of nothing being able to stand before him. We don't think like that. We're afraid of shadows and creaks in the house and movies we've watched and Freddy Krueger and all these weird stuff. We are subject and can be afraid of so many things. Our mind is not compatible with God's mind. And so Holy Spirit has come to bring forth a compatibility. And that's a growth. It's not all at once. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes that those, of, those people who are spiritually minded are people that the Holy Spirit is working with, bringing forth a compatibility, and he calls it spiritual mindedness versus natural mindedness. People that are natural minded think mainly only in view of human ability and what's normal down here and earth life. And then Paul writes in chapter three, he said, when I came to you, I couldn't speak to you like spiritual minded people but I had to speak to you like natural-minded ones because you're still doing this, you're still doing that, you're still complaining, you're still arguing, you're still wanting your own glory, your own credit. So all I wanted to show last week is a couple of things. The mark of Holy Spirit moving in your life is not marked by chills and glowing and things dripping, weird stuff dripping from the ceiling and you glow. And I've read books where, unfortunately, people said that. Glowing honey dripping from the roof and, uh, you know, strange stuff. That's strange. People are strange. God's Holy Spirit is not strange. The work of God's Spirit, if you are going to begin to recognize when God's Spirit is helping you and moving on you, is a growing compatibility with how he thinks. a spiritual appraisal of what is really true and what isn't true. One of the things that... Uh, you, worship is a lifestyle. Worship isn't singing. Worship isn't all, also only just sitting here in a reverent attitude. Worship is a lifestyle. It is a, it is a lifestyle that you carry with you to work. It is a lifestyle you carry with you uh, on vacation, no matter where you go. And worship is 
when we talk about we're in a spirit of worship or what that is, it's not a feeling, it's first a mind. It's first a, a thought process involving a valuing of truth. One of the things Jesus called Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And as we begin to sing, one of the reasons we, become, we begin to be influenced by God and by his spirit as we're singing is because we're singing about things that are true and our mind begins to become adjusted to what is really true. Because sometimes our situation seems very true or very real and our problems seem very big and very real. And you can come into a time where as you're worshiping the Lord and singing and uh, worshiping through music, you can find an element of truth begins, begins to be stirred because that's what Holy Spirit always uses. Your problem isn't the truth, he might whisper to you. The truth is Jesus saves. Jesus has changed everything. Let's read this passage from uh, Mark chapter 16. Um, a lot of times in Christianity, if, you're, if you've been involved with Christianity for any length of time, you may know this phrase, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is what people, people normally cut it a little bit short and just say, it's God's call to go into all the world and preach the good news. Um, I believe that all that we're reading this morning since it's all one narrative, it's all, one, it's all Jesus speaking in one setting. I believe all of this is included in the Great Commission. But um, this is Jesus after he had risen from the dead and he's speaking to his, uh, his followers. And I'll start reading. This is Mark 16, starting to read in verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. That's not maybe typical everyday living. Hopefully you see that he didn't just say, go into all the world and preach an American gospel and you shall be saved according to the American's definition of saved, meaning now you can come to church and we won't look at you funny. And you'll go to heaven. He's actually saying, I want you to go into all the world and tell them you have good news. And he who has believed this good news is actually going to really be delivered. They're going to be rescued out of things. And I don't just want you to tell them you have good news. I want you to actually bring good news, bring deliverance to them. Cast out demons. Believers will speak with new tongues. See, this was Jesus' idea. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This involves a new mind. A mind that begins to think like God thinks. And that takes a work of God, a, a, a compatibility this thought that there actually might be a demon present, that something happening might not just be natural. I'm telling you the Bible is a very challenging book. It is very confronting unless you just read it like literature. But if you read it for truth, it is very challenging to see Jesus cast out a demon and then say, oh yeah, and that's what my... That's what people who believe in me are going to do too. And you and I might look around and say, well, where are they? Where are these demons? Well, it's going to take the work of God's spirit to help us see things that we can't see. To speak in languages that we don't understand. To not be concerned about snakes. And I hate snakes. I hate them, even the ones that aren't poisonous. We were in India one time, and I'll confess this, um, because it just shows that there's a little bit of work that Holy Spirit has to do in me to make me more compatible with God. 
because we were in India and while the preaching was taking place, I was not exactly paying attention. And my thought was we lived by a river and then somebody had mentioned cobras and I thought, what if a cobra came through? Uh, this is what I'm thinking during the message. <laughs> I'm not a very good student sometimes. But my thought was, what would I do if a, if a cobra came in right now? I mean, I'd probably jump on the chair and scream like a girl. <laughs> but Jesus had a different mind. Paul also had a different mind. On one occasion, Paul was getting wood for a fire and everybody was watching and a viper came out and fastened itself onto his hand, which means it was still hanging there. He shook it off into the fire and everybody kept waiting for him to blow up and die. And when they saw he wasn't, they said, he must be a God because this is not natural. Numerous stories of missionaries being poisoned and when they didn't die, they became effective. Their ministry all of a sudden became effective because the witch doctor would say, I poisoned that guy. What I gave him would kill an elephant and he's still going. So therefore his God must be God. And laying, the hands, laying hands on the sick and them recovering. These are only things that God can do. So um, Jesus changes everything. And his spirit has come to bring forth and produce in us a mind that is more compatible with a God who does not think like us. And that is more of the mark of the Holy Spirit at work in you is a changing of your mind than you dancing and becoming emotional. Now you may dance and become emotional once you find out something God has said to you or God thinks or something God has done. But the emotionalness, the reaction, it's like winning the lotto. If you won the lotto and you went dancing around, the issue is you won the lottery. Your emotional reaction was just that, just a reaction to something else. And often over the years, people have mis mistaken what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. And they've called being filled with the Holy Spirit something that was the reaction. And it wasn't the reaction. The true part of being filled with the Holy Spirit was you finding, you coming into line and discovering something that God thought about you or something God thought about something. Him giving you insight and you being able to relate to it. It might make you jump up and dance. If you found out that he had dealt with your issue and you knew it, you knew it, you knew it. If he found out that he had healed you of something that the doctors couldn't heal you of, you might dance, you might rejoice, but the being filled with the Holy Spirit was the part where you found out something from God, not the part where you danced. That's just simply your reaction. One of the biggest lies that we, all of us, believe the most on a regular basis is that everything we're involved with is just natural. Let me say that again. One of the biggest lies that we all, me, us, one of the biggest lies that we believe on a regular basis is that our lives are just natural. Despite the fact that Paul writes, you're in a warfare and it's not natural. There is an active campaign, an active spiritual campaign to keep us in the dark. This active campaign, this spiritual campaign against believers isn't to keep you from going to church. It's not to keep you necessarily from reading your Bible and singing songs. The active campaign is to keep you natural-minded, to keep me natural-minded so that my job is just natural. My boss and my coworkers are just natural. My problems with relationships are purely natural. 
My parenting and raising my children is purely natural. My psychology about my own mind is purely natural. And you'll hear people say this. After hearing a message from the scriptures, people will say, oh yeah, but I have this. And this is my, and that's because, and my family always. We will discard truth for the natural. And that is not natural. Everything about our lives is spiritual. Every single thing. The economy is not just natural. Provision is not just natural. And we have stories, but if, if you want a scriptural story, in the scriptures, there are more than one place where food was multiplied supernaturally. God thinks like that. We don't. We do not think like that. They needed tax money, and Jesus told Peter, go put your line in the river, pull out a fish, and the first fish you get is going to have money in it enough to pay our taxes. That is not natural. Everything about our lives is spiritual. God's provision for our life is spiritual. And so Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring us into a spiritual mindedness. Not that we're goofy and strange, but that we rightly understand what's going on in our life when half the things that are going on are invisible. And for Jesus to say, it's to your advantage that I go away. So I send my spirit to you. That's an advantage. Now, if, if you want a little bit of insight into God's thinking, I want to glorify what Jesus did. This is God the Father saying, historically, look what one person here, one person there with the Spirit of God upon them was able to accomplish. Then look at Jesus, who when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he remained. And look what Jesus accomplished in three and a half years. Now, after I raised Jesus from the dead and he has secured a forgiveness that is so deep and full that now you can be called a temple of the living God and I will give you my Holy Spirit. The idea was for the devil to have said, let me kill Jesus and be done with this guy. And then when he kills Jesus, the scripture actually said, if he knew what God's plan was, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. But Jesus is crucified, raises from the dead, now gives his spirit to 120. The devil's problems have just increased incrementally. And then from 120 to 3,000, to 5,000, to spreading everywhere. So the devil's problem is now, what did I do? I blew on the dandelion. I killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead and now put his spirit on the multitude. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor. Oh my gosh, what have I done? Says the devil and his forces. I can't stop them from being saved, because that's a, exclusively a work of God. But I can stop them from becoming spiritual-minded. I can't stop them from going to church, but I can make church a cultural event. You know, there was a time where teaching in the church was considered critical, not cultural. There was a time where teaching in the church was critical to unclogging your pipes so that the Holy Spirit who is in you could flow out. Much of the writing of the New Testament is intended to unclog pipes. How can you have the Holy Spirit and not be moving in these things? Well, clog pipes. Natural mindedness. My problem is not Spiritual, my problem is I live in Indiana County. And you know Indiana County, terrible economy, or whatever. 
So if the spirit, the spirits that are against God and against believers, if they cannot stop you from being born again, all they can stop us from is becoming spiritually minded, more compatible, people who are more compatible with how God thinks and how God does things. That's the, that's the game we're in. You ever heard the expression, you're playing by the wrong, you don't know what game you're in, you don't know how to play by the rules of the game you're in. This isn't a game. So I don't mean to say it like that. But I do mean to say it in the sense of, if we don't understand the rules, if we don't understand the target, if we don't understand that Holy Spirit being given to mankind, poured out on all flesh, is one of the biggest game changers ever, and the, the devil and his spirits work tirelessly to make sure you don't find out who you are, what you are, what you've become, that you are, according to Paul's writing, a temple of God. What Jesus did make you, made you fit, forgiven, purified, set apart. Jesus changes everything. He made you to be a vessel able to have the Holy Spirit himself put in you to stay, to live in you. And Jesus would call you, that's part of my body. If the devil had trouble with one of me, what's he going to do with thousands of me? And we have believers today wanting to build, what's, what do they call it in Idaho, a redoubt? We want to build a fort where all the Christians can just huddle in. What a demonic thing. Hide the Spirit of God. Jesus was not afraid to leave you here. He was not afraid to leave us here because he had given us his Spirit. You need never be afraid of anything except remaining natural-minded. Now, if I could have the, the John chapter 3 verse up, and then we'll just scroll through. I, I want to do this quickly. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to read some things that describe God's spirit and his activity in your life. In John chapter 3, starting to read in verse 5, Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when you are born again, the Bible says you were born of the spirit. That is the activity of Holy Spirit. Uh, the next verse. In John chapter 20, one of the first times Jesus appears to all of his disciples except Thomas um, after he had risen from the dead. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, his scars. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, What? Read it with me, please. Receive the Holy Spirit. So when did these disciples receive the Holy Spirit? When Jesus breathed on them, correct? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Uh, the next verse. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 6.17. He who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Next verse. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 22. God sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Uh, Galatians 4, and then we'll stop with this. Galatians 4, verse 6 verse. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, could we go to Acts chapter 1, please? I just spent, I just took just a smattering of verses, um, because we're going to talk about Acts chapter 1, where Jesus said, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But he said that to people 
whose lives were already filled with the activity of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I hear people say, I don't need the baptism in the Holy Spirit because I already have the Holy Spirit. No and yes. Yes, you already have the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is critical. And can you as a believer who hasn't had that Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 experience, can you say, I already have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you can, absolutely. Perfectly legitimate. He who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. You were born again by the Spirit of God. It's God's Spirit that witnesses within you that you're a son of God. You've been sealed by God and given his Spirit as a pledge. So are you a person, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are, are, who, might, who might say, I haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I don't even know what that is. Can you legitimately say you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you can, absolutely. Biblically, yes. But can you also say, but I don't need it? Well, there's where I'd say biblically you have to say no, because Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, who was he talking to? Believers. He was talking to people that were already believers, people that had already been seeing him and meeting with him for 40 days. People that he had already breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. These men were changed. These men were like us, even more so. Just because people don't pray the four spiritual, read the four spiritual laws and read the tract you gave them and pray your prayer does not mean they aren't believers in Jesus Christ. These men are the foundations and the pillars of the church we're involved with. So let me read Acts chapter 1. And remember, he's, he's writing this, and Jesus is speaking to people who already have the Holy Spirit. They're already born again. They're already sealed. They already have the witness within. Jesus died for my sins. The first account, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many con convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and on one occasion to over 120 people at one time. So he's been appearing to them after he rose from the dead for a period of 40 days, he's been appearing to them, talking to them, teaching them and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit a lot during his ministry. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I'll stop there for a minute. Last week we talked about babto versus baptizo, two different words for baptized. The Nico, a Greek poet, wrote, they found a recipe he wrote about how to make pickles. And I think his name was Nico. And he said, first you take the vegetable, let's say cucumber. First you take the cucumber and you bapto it in the water. You dip it. Then you baptizo it in the vinegar. You immerse it until it's changed. It's not a dip, it's a stick and, stick and stay. Pickles are made through being immersed, baptized. And what Jesus is talking about is you aren't going to be dipped in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed unto change. And part of that change is a compatibility of mind. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Almost like, oh yeah, yeah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but what about, and Jesus is like, no, let's get your eyes back focused on what's important here. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't get caught up in timelines. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Hey, these are already people who have the Holy Spirit. This is a gift. This is a promise to believers. 
according to the scriptures and according to my flimsy and much less important witness, people don't start moving in the things of God until the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They didn't biblically. They were hiding. They were scared to death. They were scared of being hunted down and killed. Once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they went out everywhere. And it's been my experience that until people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, they don't move in these things. It's not that they don't believe it. It's just that there's this, I'm not sure how. How did these things work? Hence, the requirement and sometimes waiting is involved that Jesus said to believers who had the Spirit, this is for you. If you're a person who's been asking and waiting, even the waiting is not in vain. And someday you can talk to me because my waiting was over a year. It's not one of those stories you write books about. They don't want my, no one wants my experience. But nonetheless, even the waiting is part of intent, part of the process. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. You shall be people who've seen stuff. You've seen people who've seen me. He didn't say you'll go out witnessing what Americans call witnessing, knocking on doors. He said you'll become something. You'll become a person who witnesses, who witnesses what God is doing, what God is thinking, what God is saying, what God has done. If we could just turn to uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please, and we'll start wrapping things up here. Judah is going to carry on from here. I just want to introduce something, um, this idea. Um, so hopefully, hopefully I've tried to establish this idea of we all have the work of the Holy Spirit. If we believe in Jesus, we have had the work of the Holy Spirit. We have Holy Spirit. But Jesus also said to his disciples who were already believers, already apostles, I want you guys to wait because there's something else coming and this is new. And from that point on, you find the apostles, Paul, when Paul in Acts chapter 19 meets the disciples at Ephesus, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? One of the first things he wants to know, since you believed, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because that's going to be key to your walk. Because you need power. You need what the gift of the Holy Spirit provides. But now, if we go to the Corinthians, we find a church that's all out of whack because, yeah, they have plenty of gifts, but their meetings are crazy. You haven't seen crazy. And Paul has to write to explain some things to him. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I want to stop there for a minute. To each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for all of our good. That means when the gifts are not functioning, we are not being gooded because they're for our good. If you want a name and if you want a ministry and if you want things to post on social media, you will be grieving. Holy Spirit is not into you. His job is for the common good. If there's a demon or a demonic influence in the midst of the church, he wants somebody who can say, get out of here. If there's a person who needs healing, he wants somebody in the church who, to them, the gift just makes sense. I'm not saying it makes sense naturally. The manifestations of the Spirit are God's gracious offering to you to think something about what Jesus has done so that for some reason it just makes sense to you. So that you think, I can lay my hands on the, you lay your hands on the sick, right? Well, people are like, what, are you crazy? I don't even know. But one of the manifestations of the Spirit is to act like God in a certain regard. And Jesus would always lay his hands on the sick. And the manifestations of the Spirit 
are for the common good, not for self-promotion. If you want to realize, if you want to ask some questions about why don't we see a lot of that happening, a big part of it is people aren't ready. You would be ruined by your own fame, and God's not into that. If he knew that you laying your hands on somebody and them being healed would result in you posting it everywhere and becoming famous and speaking everywhere, and we see too many people, too many sincere ministers of the, go of the gospel that go out before they're ready and then are ruined. So, Holy Spirit is interested in glorifying one person, and that's Jesus. But to each one, and that's you, you're in each one, I'm in each one, we all are each ones. Each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. I know it's a good lesson, but what if it were true? What if there is something in you that is needed by the church? Okay, we can go. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. This is a mind. I understand something that's wise in this situation. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Somebody who understands that in the room there's somebody hurting or there's somebody in pain or some, you know, the doctor's given somebody a bad, things that you couldn't possibly understand or know. God just makes known to you, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, understanding that something's not just natural. It's not just a person saying something. It's actually a demon trying to have its way. And what does the demonic use? They use people, they use believers, they use natural seeming things. It's just a natural thing, it's just this, it's just somebody saying something. No, it's not just somebody saying something. This is something spiritual. Nothing about our lives is just natural. To another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distribu distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. The long and the short of it is when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, he's producing a different mind, a mind that is compatible with him, and he doesn't just talk, he does. He's not just a talker, God is a doer, he cares about people. And so one of the things this little body is going to have to come to grips with is, I want to be more compatible with a God who does not think like me with a God who thinks in terms of laying hands on the sick or praying something out of the room. There's a hindrance. There's something in here. We don't want it in here. A whole spiritual way of it's not just a natural world. It's not just a natural meeting. It's just not a natural life. Everything about my life has a spiritual component and needs to be considered. And for that, Jesus said, I want you to wait you believers who have the Holy Spirit, because the, pro the Father has promised a gift to you that's going to blow your socks off. You're going to become a witness to these things. You're going to understand things. You're, there's going to be a compatibility with God that is not natural, and you won't just, it doesn't matter if you read the Bible every day for 500 years. It's not going to make you more spiritual-minded. That is the work of Holy Spirit. And much of that happens in private. Much of that happens in our daily life. When I first moved to Pennsylvania, I worked on a dairy farm in Strongstown. And um, actually, with Pat. I knew Pat back then. She still likes me. Maybe, well, she, she says she does. She might not. She actually told me I stunk yesterday. Um, I worked on her father's dairy farm, and the farm was fed by a spring, and the spring had a pump. And at one point, we hadn't been on the farm very long. It was springtime, and the spring was dry, and that's bad news. It's bad news for everybody. It's bad news for dairy cows. And I just, I wasn't trying. I didn't do it. No one knows this. Pat, this will be news to Pat. I did tell her dad one time down the road, but I, this isn't for show, because I'm not like... I don't know, go, I want you to go to the spring, says the Lord to me. So I went to the spring, 
And he said, I want you to hit it. So I vaguely remembered Moses struck a rock with his staff. So I thought, okay, there's some kind of scriptural precedent for this. So I looked around, there was a stick, a branch. So I took it and I hit it, but I only hit it once. Like, hit it. So I'm like, what do I do now? Go back to work. No lightning, no goosebumps. I didn't float, I didn't glow. Water didn't. So I went back to work and I'm kind of thinking, I was, was that goofy or what? I don't know. I believe I thought the Lord told me to go back and do it. I'm working. I kind of forget all about it. I'm doing my work. Mr. Stromar comes and says, the spring started to work. He said, all our, all our troughs are filling up with water. He's like, I'm like, hallelujah. hallelujah. Wow, that's huge. But it's, not diff it's different. It's not natural. There's things we do with our children that can't just be natural. There's times where the Lord told me, I want you to go prophesy and lay your hands on your kids while they're asleep. Not always both of them, just sometimes I want you to go and I want you to speak this over your sons. So he'd be asleep, I'd sit by his bed. It can sound strange, but remember Paul said, the spiritual things always seem foolish to the natural minded. To a natural minded person, it can seem strange, but to a spiritual minded person, you're thinking, oh, God does that. Yeah, that's how God does it. He speaks. He puts his, historically, biblically, the Bible is laid out to give us some examples of this is your God, and he's not like you. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is given that we might grow in our compatibility with a God who does not think like us. So uh, we're going to end there uh, this morning. And um, if you're a person who has been asking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, keep seeking and come talk to me or come talk to somebody else. I am very much against religious productions. And I think, I think people freeze up even when it happens. So all I'm saying is Holy Spirit is able to come upon you anytime, anywhere. But understand, don't quit seeking. Don't be discouraged by delay. When we take communion... Oh, does everybody have a communion cup? If anybody needs one, uh, there's a dish in the back.